Okay, so Wednesday night, this last Wednesday, we finished the book of Acts. Brilliant book. And this Wednesday, right back here, we're beginning the book of Galatians. Uh, Brilliant book. Probably say that about every book. But Galatians is the rawest book in the New Testament. In the first paragraph, Paul tells people twice pretty much to go to hell. Then in chapter five, there are these people that were saying, in order to belong to Jesus, you have to do a bunch of stuff. One of them was circumcision. And Paul says, I wish that when they got circumcised, the knife would slip. Yeah. How awesome is that? (laughs) That's in the Bible. We want to pretty it up, but it's raw, totally raw. In chapter three, he calls believers fools. You guys are fools. Ah. So if you're a fool, come out. Galatians is for you. That's why I love it so much because I'm a fool and I need it to sometimes smack me in the face. And that's what Galatians does. So we're doing that. Uh, We're gonna do a either six or seven week series on Sunday, starting today. And I'm calling it homesick. And here's the idea of it. It seems to me, and I talk to a lot of people, try to read a bit, that there is something in humans that causes us, no matter how good things are, to always feel like this, ah, couldn't they be better? So if you're a teenager and you've got everything that you think you need, you have an iPhone 10, what more do you need? You have some money in your pocket. You have a car that does not backfire. You're happy, but yet in the morning or at night when you're laying in bed, you can sometimes feel this weight of, is this it? It feels like there should be something else. If you're a little bit older and you got a great family and a great spouse and you have a job that satisfies you and you've got bills paid and you have a iPhone six because you don't really care that much. (laughs) They do the same thing. You have a remodel that came in on target and on budget, miracle. And yet in the dark of the night, you can feel this. Is that it? A longing, I call it an angst. There's an angst in us, even as a believer, right? We still feel it. In fact, I think as believers, it's doubled up. Because as a believer, we have this ideal of the way culture is supposed to be and the way people are supposed to be and the way the kingdom is supposed to look. We have this ideal in our mind. And then we look around at our own culture and the amorality of it or the immorality of it and the lack of civility in it and the political nature of everything now. And you can feel like Moses, who named one of his kids a stranger in a strange land. You just feel like I'm a stranger in this place. Man, I see all this brokenness and all this craziness and I read the news and I wish it was fake news. Man, but it's not. And so there's this ugh in you. I think that's real and it's part of the human condition. Romans 8, 20 puts it like this. Creation was subject to futility. We're part of creation. So something happened that caused us now to be subject to some kind of futility and we can all feel it. I call it, we're homesick. 
we're homesick. So my hope is this. My hope is today to lay out why I think we feel that way. Why all humans, if they're really honest, will at some level feel homesick. And then we're gonna look at next week what people did when they were homesick. Guys like Moses, gals like Esther, Daniel, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Ezra, Nehemiah. In fact, a whole bunch of the Bible is written to or about people living in exile who were wanting to go home. And they lived a certain way that I think is brilliant. Okay? So that's my hope. That gives you where we're headed. And here's the reason why. So if you would open with me to Genesis chapter one, super easy today, like a seminary professor, you can open page one, unless there's a preface. So here's how the Bible begins. It begins this way, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God keeps saying that and keeps creating day after day after day. So here's what I think you see in Genesis 1 and 2. God moves upon a chaotic, formless place, verse two, where it's dark and it's deep and it's, there, there's no order to it, it's formless. And God, his spirit hovers over that and he begins to speak into it and slowly but surely he makes a place for humans to exist. That's what he does. Out of chaos, he brings order. Out of darkness, he brings light. Out of formlessness, he brings form, Okay. Out of the deep, deep is scary, isn't it? You ever been in the ocean and you look down and you can't see anything? That's scary. Deep, out of all that, he brings up ground out of it. So he creates a good space for humans to have their existence. It's beautiful. There's trees and there's plants and there's birds and there's flowers and it's awesome. And inside of that place, he actually puts potential. Chapter two, verse 10. It says, in the, the garden of Eden, there was gold there and the gold was good. I don't know what bad gold is, but I'll take it and give it to me. But the gold there is really good. And then it talks about minerals and stuff. What God was saying is this, I've put into this place in the middle of Eden, potential for you, Adam, that you can take this stuff out, the gold and the minerals, and there's potential for you. Okay, so that's what God does. On the earth, in this place called Eden, somewhere in Eden, he plants this beautiful garden and he puts in there Adam and we'll see Eve follows as well. And what I think you see, if you read Genesis one and two is this, you see God's original architecture of humans. Like these are gonna be the things that are gonna drive you. And I believe those same drives are with us today. And it's those drives that cause us to feel this home sickness. Because I'll give you the end of the story. We don't live in Eden anymore. We live east of Eden. 
and there's this hope of getting back to Eden, okay? So I'm gonna give you the why today, and then we're gonna talk about what we do in the middle of it. So here's, I've been actually writing a bunch of these up because I have an idea for a different series, but I've just been going through Genesis one and two and just writing out like what I think are the core things that God designed into humans. I've got eight of them now. Am I gone? Oh man, it's that plate from Nam, I think in my head. <laughs> Blank for a second. So uh, he's put these drives in us and I'm only do three. I've got eight. We'll do three really quick. And then we'll explore what these three look like today. All right, so number one, creativity or cultivating. Look at chapter two, verse 15. The Lord God, Yahweh, it's describing who this God is, Yahweh God, took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And Yahweh God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Okay, I don't have a lot of time to do this one. You have to trust me on it. If you read Genesis one and two, here's what you find. God, big world, inside the big world, there's Eden, inside of Eden, there's a garden. God takes mankind, puts him in that garden. It's a garden that he has planted, cultivated, made perfect for humans. Plants, Adam in there. And he says to Adam, hey bro, you're responsible for it now. And I believe the mandate there is actually with all the potential put into it, the mandate is this garden is the pattern. You need to take this garden and start expanding it into the rest of Eden and eventually so it completely encompasses the globe that you have this mandate to create more. And because the earth is really big, you're gonna need help. So be fruitful and multiply. Have a bunch of babies that will join in the cultivating and the creative work of earth. That's the mandate. If you talk to men that have kids, most of them, what they really want is for their kids to join with them in beating back the jungle, whatever jungle they've decided to beat back to join them in the work, Murphy and Sons, whatever it is. Hey, be with me, be around me. Let's tackle this thing together. Most men want that. Most kids don't. And so they move away. <laughs> I've got to get away from my overbearing father. Well, he's that way because there's this drive in him. Join me in this. I don't think it ever changes. So my father-in-law, who's in his 70s, has five acres that's just a quarter mile from me. Been there a little bit over 10 years. Every year, here's what he does. He clears a little bit of that five acres, pulls out all the stumps, plants some flowers, plants some grass, puts in a couple new sprinklers. He's always, he's retired. He still can't stop. He's, he's wanting to what? Beat back the jungle, cultivate the land, create, expand. It's in us. We all have this desire to create and to go and to work. It's in us to be creative, okay? And, and on a side note, Right after God gives him that mandate, here's your garden, cultivate it, do it. He then gives this rule. Eat of anything that you want, all the trees, and live. Eat of this one tree and die. It's called the covenant of works. And I've mentioned this before. The covenant of works is in every one of us. We believe that if we do things right, then we're gonna get life. 
If we do things wrong, we're gonna get death. We believe that. We believe if we take a seed and we plant it into the ground and we cover it and we water it in the right season, we do everything right, that that seed should come up and produce something for us. And when that does not happen, what do we say? That's not fair. The only way that you could ever say that's not fair is if you truly believe the covenant of works. That if I do things right, I'll get life. If I do things wrong, I won't. That's the governing mandate for most of us. And it's that that's inside of us that causes a lot of homesickness because we're not in Eden anymore. We're east of Eden. It doesn't work like that anymore, okay? And we'll talk more about that in a second. So the first thing, first driving us is cultivate, create. And it's not just gardening. It's in whatever sphere God has planted you in. The businessman wants to do this. He wants to take the chaos of employees and they can be chaotic. And he wants to take the chaos of just raw material. And he wants to have a vision and a plan to take that chaos and bring out of it, order a product that benefits people. And that's a good thing, right? Teachers, you just started. Praise God for you. It's the happiest week for all parents right now. They're like, ah, ah, vacation, <laughs> right? You gotta take these unruly third graders that come in with jacked up hair and bad breath. Have you been in a third grade class where they've been in there like two hours? The glass is like misty from their bad breath. You're like, oh, trident people, trident, please. So you're in there with all this chaos and then you just gotta try to form these kids into something. You've got nine months to do it. Good luck with that. A coach takes five selfish kids or 11 selfish kids or 40 selfish kids and he's trying to say, hey, you can't be selfish. That ruins this thing. We're trying to create something called a team and out of the chaos of a bunch of kids, team, right? A farmer, a real farmer that grows stuff to eat, okay? Just to be clear. <laughs> Wants to take a seed, right? And the order of season and prepare the ground and water it and tend it and weed it and all that order brings something in September, a beautiful, incredible salad. I can go on and on and on. The artist wants to take the raw of, of paints or of music notes and order those things in such a way that there's beauty out of chaos comes the beauty. It's in us all. When you talk to people, and I do, when they say what really is meaningful to them, almost in every instance, it's, I took some chaos, Genesis 1-1, and out of it, I brought order. Most people have that in them because it's in us, we're Mago days, okay? And I'm glad we have believers in all those spheres, right? I'm glad everyone's not a pastor. That would be a bummer, right? My job is to take kind of the chaos of theology at times and philosophy and try to order those things in such a way that, oh, okay, I, I can understand that now. That's my job. But you know what? If there are no farmers, what are we gonna eat? Amen. <laughs> Ink and paper, we're not goats. That's not gonna work. We, we need people in all those spheres, taking chaos to order, okay? So that's in us, that's drive number one. Drive number two, right after that. Then, verse 18, Yahweh God said, it is not good, first time, that man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Drive number two, companionship. 
We need friends. We need people. It is a deep drive in us. And it begins at the very time we're born. So six months or so ago, we joined in with a uh, interning doctor here to start a, just holding drug babies. And a bunch of you signed up for that, 60 of you or so, only seven for this pilot program are in it. But I, I was following it and talking with uh, the people that were spearheading that. And the information they gave me is fascinating. So drug babies is a big problem. Every 25 minutes, there is a baby born addicted to opioids. Big problem. That baby will cost $67,700 for its hospital stay. And it will take that baby 22 days in the hospital before it's able to be released. Unless you hold that baby. And then the time drops to just over five days and the amount of money drops to $10,000. And the amount of morphine is cut to 14%. All by simply, they, don't, they shouldn't be in a little container. Now they got oxygen and food and everything. What do they need? They need companionship. They need to know I belong to somebody. I belong to this person. I feel them. Ah, they need that. It's born into us. And I am gonna stress this over and over and over again because there is an epidemic that's coming. It's called loneliness. And it's leading to depression and all kinds of problems. And there's great things about technology. One of the problems of technology is this. It has removed the person from community. You don't have to go to the store anymore, do you? Why? Because we got this thing called Amazon, right? People order kitty litter from Amazon. I'm like, what in the world? How do you make money? It's like just nasty 20 pound bag of stuff. How can you ship that from Seattle to Grants Pass and make money on it? It's insanity. It used to be you had to go to the store and at least bump into people. And you could be grouchy and grumpy, but you're at least interacting. Now we don't even have to have that. It's insane. It's an epidemic and it's dangerous. Loneliness is equivalent, I've said this before, to smoking 20 cigarettes a day, right? And we as believers should know that. Why? The very first thing that God says is not good is what? Loneliness. Adam, it's not good for you to be alone. It's like you're smoking 20 cigarettes a day, bro. Cut the habit. I'm giving you somebody. So companionship is this drive that's inside of all of us. But it's more than just surface Facebook friends. Notice, let me read the rest of this. Verse 19, now out of the ground, Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man. <laughs> because she was taken from a man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and not ashamed. Get the story. Adam, 
paradise, God's presence, everything he needs. Not good that that dude's alone. Not good at all, all right? That should not happen. So God brings all the animals by him. And I'm just naming them away. Lion, tiger, <sighs> yak, sloth, Sasquatch. He's real. <laughs> right? Not, doesn't get him at all. Doesn't get him one bit. Then he sees the woman. What does he do? He's a rock star. He writes a song. That's a song. He sings a song. Woo, rock star, man. Like, yeah, I want that. Mine. That's what he says. Now, why? Bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She fits me. We connect. She matches me. It's why we agonize so often in who we decide to have as our spouse because we know they have to fit beside me. They have to be bone of my bone. They have to be flesh of my flesh. That's why so often I get questions from people like, how did you know Charity was the one? And I think that's a really good question to agonize over. Will they fit me? Will I fit them? Can we belong to each other? That's really the question. Can we truly belong and become one together? Because that's deep in us. We want to belong to one another. It's brilliant. We want companionship. But not just spouses, it's, it's deep friendships right? We're supposed to have these deep friendships with people. So we want to be creative, chaos to order. We want companions, deep companions, not Facebook friends, belonging friends. And then number three, we want cooperation with nature. So here's what you see. And I just read it. The animals come right, the beasts of the field come right by Adam. And what's Adam do? He's like, ah, lion, run. No, he's like lion, tiger. Why? Because nature cooperated with humans here. And we still have that in us, don't we? You take your son, you take your daughter to the zoo and what do they want to do to the lion? I want to pet, right? Everyone just said it. Because that's in us. We, we, we want to pet the lion. We're like, no, you can't pet the lion. It'll chomp your head off. Yet in us is this desire to have this cooperation with nature where animals come and who doesn't want a pet lion when they're growing up? Like that bully will not get me anymore. I got a pet lion. And there's, that's in us. My son, Myron, always wants to bring something home and make it his pet, right? We, we caught these crabs at the ocean in Sunset Bay. And he's like, dad, I wanna take them home. I'm like, bro, they won't live. No, we'll put them in the bathtub. Bro, they won't live. No, I'll take care of them, I'll feed them. Bro, they won't live, right? You want, that's like, I, I want them. They're part of me, I need them. It's in us all, this cooperation with nature. I think it's even deeper than we can ever imagine. So I just read this study this week because it's brilliant. It's in the Journal of Scientific Investigation. And it's a study about this lady and her dog. And the dog, the moment this woman was at work, she would decide to go home. The dog would stand up and walk to the front door and wait for her. And so the, the science was, well, we think it's just because the pattern so they put a video camera on the dog and a video camera on the lady and they had the lady tell them when they decided to, she decided to go home and they said, randomize it. So it's just four o'clock every day, start randomizing it. So she's like, okay, 2.30, I'm going home. The minute she made that decision, dog would get up, walk to the front door. Like, huh, okay, okay. Maybe it's because of location. Let's put her in a subway. So they put her like on a subway, sit on this bench and at some random time decide to go home. 
And so they're watching and she decides randomly, I'm gonna go home now. Dog gets up, walks to the front door. They're like, what in the world is this? Right? And they're trying to be scientists. So they go down all these reasons. And at the end of it, they're like, yeah, none of those fit. We think it might be telepathy. Science, right? We think, I'm like, that is insane. What is it? It's there's this deep connection with nature that I don't think we even understand to this day. We're still trying to figure it out. Like, what is the deal with that? Like a dog can smell cancer. Like it's one of the most incredible things. They, they can smell better than most medical stuff. Like they're amazing. Now, why is that? Why would God create a dog that can smell cancer? It's amazing. So we have this in us. We have these drives in us. These are just three of many. And, and we want to be creative and we want to have companions and we want the cooperation of nature. It's what I call an echo of Eden. It's what makes life good. Like if these things really happen, life would be good. Like I think Genesis 1 and 2 define the good life. God, over and over, this is good, this is good, this is good. If, things, if these things were here, ah, oh, that would be a good life. It'd be awesome. All of us want to live in paradise with our spouse, don't we? Where do people go for their honeymoons? Are they going to White City? No, you go to Hawaii. Why? Paradise. I want to live in paradise with my bride. That's where I want to be. I want to be where you can eat everything you want from a tree and not get fat because you're still naked and not ashamed. That's the place I want to live. Brilliant. Brilliant, right? It's in us. We know the world should be that way, but is the world that way? Do you have deep companions that you belong to? Is your work just the most satisfying thing in your week? Does nature cooperate with us? Hmm. What happened? Genesis 3, right? You go know the story. The serpent shows up. Revelation 12 tells us it's Satan, evil incarnate, tricks them. They eat of the forbidden fruit. And then there's fallout. The home that God had created for them, Adam bombed it and destroyed it. That's what happened, okay? And I'll go through all these three. Actually, the three that I have here, you can see in the aftermath, they're destroyed, okay? Create, cultivate, that's in us. Now look at chapter three, look what happens. Chapter three, verse 17. And Adam, he said, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat of it, cursed is the ground because of you. In pain, you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles, it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the plants of the field. Before, what were they eating? Fruit of a tree. What's the difference between the fruit of a tree and a plant? Trees last for a long, long, long time, a lifetime. A plant, you gotta keep constantly replanting, constantly replanting. It's this cycle, right? Ah, ah. You're in a cycle now. So this, this thing that was supposed to be put a seed in the ground, boom, it plants up beautiful tree that I, you can feed your family for. Now it's broken. They went from a garden to a desert and in order to exist in the desert, they have to slave away and all the work that they do, everything that they try to do is gonna produce what? Verse 18, thorns and thistles. Have you ever felt like your job wars against you? You try to create a business and, and the moment you start getting the business off the ground, the economy shuts down. Or a regulation changes that throws your entire thing 
in the trash. When you finally feel like, oh man, I'm getting ahead in life, all of a sudden your training goes out. You get fired from your job, bankruptcy. It's like now jobs war against you. It's this constant battle. You have to battle hard, pain, sorrow, hard work, thorns and thistles are the results of it. It's like your job wars against you. So Slate Magazine, which is not a Christian magazine at all, it's very liberal, has this article on that. And they use the analogy of Charlie Brown trying to kick the football with Lucy, where Lucy every time pulls it away. And Lucy will like just convince Charlie Brown she's not gonna do it this time. Like all these arguments, come on, come on, come on, come on. And when Charlie Brown finally trusts Lucy and goes and kicks the ball, she pulls it away again. And he said, that's work. When you finally trust it, oh, it's gonna work this time. Shink, trick, psych, sorry. He said, that's work. I thought that's so interesting from a secular magazine that sees exactly this right here. Because that's what happens to us. Work wars against us. So we wanna create. We think work should be better than it is. Should be more satisfying than it is. It just doesn't seem to be that way. Because Genesis 3, it got fractured. Number two, companionship. Look what happens to companions. Remember, lion, sloth, sasquatch, woman, right? Sings, naked and unashamed, beautiful. What happens after the fall? Well, look at verse 10, chapter three. God called to Adam, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree. It's it's so bad, it's brilliant, right? In like eight words, Adam blames God and his wife. Not my fault. It's you and the woman against me. And men from Adam on, when they are caught in their junk, blame is the brokenness of men. So they will find somebody to say, it's not my fault. Mistakes were made, but not by me. And they'll start pointing their fingers at circumstances or people, but never at themselves. They blame now. Okay, it gets worse. Verse 16. To the woman, he said, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. Great debate on what that means. (laughs) massive debate. Some people say the desire for the husband is a sexual desire, which most men would say, please curse my wife with that. I don't think that's what it is. I think it's, and they did not live happily ever after. What should have been this belonging and a side-by-side thing, what should have been so brilliant and incredible is now you're gonna fight. You're gonna fight over all kinds of things. You're gonna fight over money. You're gonna fight over kids. You're gonna fight over jobs. You're gonna fight over who does most of the housework. You're gonna fight over money. Did I say that before? You're gonna fight over money, yeah. (laughs) Did I say you're gonna fight over money? Yeah, all right, that's what it's saying. What should be this belonging and brilliance and the two being better than one and all this stuff that's packed into what we know a relationship should be is now fractured and now it's gonna be fighting. It's broken. And even more than that, outside of a spousal relationship. What happened when the fall took place is this. We were supposed to be image bearers. That means this. We were supposed to be these tiny little mirrors 
that reflect back to God light and love and goodness and kindness and brilliance. But the moment we turn from God, at the best, we became dim. At the worst, we, we became dark and evil. And now instead of enjoying the light, it should be 7 billion light reflectors on earth. But instead, it's fighting and killing and war and competitiveness and selfishness and disaster. Why? Because we turn from imaging God to imaging ourselves and we're not all that good. And that's what happened. And so now the deep relationships that you could have had with people are ruined because of games and competition and weirdness. Like think back in your life, how many best friends have you had? Why do we go through them? It shouldn't be that way. It should be this belonging and this depth and this brilliance, but we've become dim or dark. So creation, oh, we're not able to cultivate the way that we should. Companionship is, is broken too. How about the cooperation of nature? Does nature cooperate with us now? It doesn't seem like it to me. Look at verse 19, chapter three. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you are taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. Creation's gonna kill you now. That's essentially what I think it just said. Creation's gonna kill you. It's gonna be against you. No longer cooperating. The lion doesn't come and let you name it. What does the lion do now? Eats you. That's what's gonna happen now. And there's gonna be earthquakes and fires and more fires and tsunamis. It's like the earth is trying to shake us off. Like the virus is humans. If we can get rid of them, we're good. They're the ones that caused this. Let's get rid of them. It groans and travails to this day. No cooperation. In fact, much more the opposite. One theologian put it like this. He said, do you know why the dog barks at you? Because the dog knows you've quarreled with his maker. And that's what happened. It used to be this incredible co cooperation. Like you could have lions and tigers and sloths and sasquatches and no problem. Now the dog barks at you because whatever we had was broken. Okay? So we have a sense of the way things should be. It should be Genesis 1 and 2. But we are booted out of Eden. And now we live in a desert and things are different. But that sense in us still longs for home. We want to go home. That would be home. Yes. Genesis 1 and 2 is good. That's home. But we don't live in home anymore. We live east of Eden. The good news is this. Jesus comes and he says to his disciples in John 14, don't let your heart be troubled. Why? Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. What is he referencing? Genesis 1 and 2. I'm going to recreate a heaven where you can exist, right, called Eden again. And if you read the Bible, you get to the very end of the Bible and it describes that place. It's called the Garden City of New Jerusalem, Revelation 21 and 22. And what you see in Genesis 21 and 22 is all the things that were supposed to be in Eden get their fulfillment in there. It's not just two people in a garden. It's a massive place filled with people. Exactly what Adam was supposed to do, be fruitful and multiply, make the whole place like that. That God's saying, you couldn't do it, but I'll do it. I'll make the city. I'll make it a garden city. Will we be able to have creative outlet in heaven? Oh, absolutely. We're gonna serve him. What does that mean? Whatever capacity that you have right now is gonna be exploded in a way that you can't even imagine. Create, cultivate. 
right? How about companionships? Every tongue, every tribe, every color in unison, working together, deep, real companionships there. How about nature? Is nature worth us anymore? No, it says this. The tree of life is planted there and its leaves are for the healing of the nation. Instead of warring against us, nature once again cooperates with us and we get healed by it. Everything that we want because of the echo of Eden is amplified and fulfilled in New Jerusalem. That's the story. Okay, that's great, Matt. But we're right here right now. And I can feel this ugh, in my heart. What do we do now? Well, that's the rest of the series. Because if you read the Bible, here's what you find. A massive portion of scripture is written by people or to people living in exile who are homesick to go home. And each one of these guys, you can look at their story and begin to see that's how you flourish even when you feel homesick. Moses facing down Pharaoh's. Esther risking everything for her people. Daniel resisting the evil of an empire. Jeremiah dwelling in that city. Ezekiel, right, speaking prophetically to change the culture that he lived in. And what we're gonna do is we're just gonna grab these people and start saying, this is how we exist in the middle. This is how we flourish right now. Even with those same feelings, we can still flourish. We can still have life and it abundantly. So that's where we're headed. And let me end by saying this. I don't think the gospel was ever plan B. I think it's always been plan A. I think the Bible starts, Genesis 1 and 2, because God's saying, I am the one that takes chaos and brings order. I'm the one that takes the formless, dark voidness and by my word and by my spirit hovering, I bring beauty and order and eventually, chapter two, verse four, rest. He says to you and me today, Matt, your life is a dark nightmare. You're without form. If you let me, I will tame that chaos. If you allow my spirit to hover over you and my word to speak into you day by day by day, I'm gonna recreate you from a formless void into a resting person. It's exactly what Jesus says. Come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden. Ah, this thing is killing me. This chaos is killing me. And when he says, I will give you rest. That's how Eden terminates in rest. And that's what Jesus promises you and me. I'll give you rest. See, we need a healthy theology of God taming chaos because we live in a chaotic culture now. Chaotic, we live in a chaotic world. Drugs, violence, chaos. My heart is chaotic. And I have to come to the one that is able to speak the word and take the chaos of my own thoughts and the chaos of my bad heart and the chaos of the world that I live in and say, Matt, my spirit will hover over you and my word will speak to you and I'll transform you. And the end result will be a rest, a shalom, a life that's good. And maybe you're here today and your life is a chaotic nightmare. 
You're still in the first part of Genesis. You haven't let God's spirit hover over you. You haven't let God's word speak into you to create something beautiful inside of you. In the summer, here's what we offer every single Sunday. Baptism. It's over the waters. Out of the waters come new life. If you read Genesis 1. That's what baptism is. It doesn't save you. Water doesn't save you. Who saves you? See? Did it happen that time? Okay. Yeah, there's something happening here. (laughs) Jesus saves us. Baptism is saying, I'm dying to the old chaotic way that I lived. And I wanna be resurrected where your word and your spirit begins to speak and transforms me into a place of rest and shalom. And I'm giving you, I'm giving you my life to do that. And so we offer that to you. If you've been baptized and you just need prayer, then right over here, we had an announcement today. Prayer's important. Galatians chapter six, rough translation. If you see somebody whose life is chaotic, you whose life is more ordered, pray for that person in chaos and love on them and help them. And I'm so glad for people throughout my walk that have taken me when my life has been chaotic and prayed for me. It's transformed me. That God uses often you and me to speak his word to people. And so we'd love to pray for you. If you're doing well, praise God. Be thankful. Go and say, help me, be, help me to be a light today that reflects to Grant's past your glory and your majesty. And so Jesus, this day, we can sense when we're still and quiet, the echo of Eden. That things are good, but they're just not great. That we're surviving, but we're not thriving. And we know we live in a world that's been hammered by treason against the king and creator. And so this day we come as your people reaffirming that you are our Lord and our King and our master. And we want our lives to be ordered by you. For those in here who need to be baptized, Lord, may your spirit hover and draw them. For those that need to be prayed for, may Lord, you prevent the lies of the enemy that will keep them from the life-giving words of the saints. For those that are doing well, may you keep us humble, knowing that we have a real enemy who is seeking who he may devour. The same enemy in Genesis 3 is the one that we face today that will lie and cheat and steal and destroy the paradise that you're trying to create in us, the rest you're trying to get to us. So fill us with faith and your power. We ask this in your name, amen.